Blackjack with Griffin and David Blackjack with Griffin and David Don't know what to say or to expect All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blackjack My father's half dead, my bride has been captured, and you're babbling on about podcasts? <laughs> What's the line? Seedlings. Okay. Okay, great. The other one that's good is, bless you, Martin. Your reward is in heaven. I'd rather get paid sooner, sir, if you don't mind. That's a good line. Yeah. But there's not like a, right, a it's, podcast. It's not, no. to, yeah. Right. I'd rather get podcasts soon. Yeah, whatever. If you don't whatever. podcast. Whatever. I don't know. Who gives a shit? Hi, everybody. My name is Griffin Newman. <laughs> David Sims. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. Wait, what the fuck is the name of the miniseries? I'm going to tell you. Oh, great. Okay, great. We don't know. Guys, we're not, I don't know what it is. He's going to tell me. All right. I'm going to tell you. But, but you're going to head of everything. I'm because gonna... this is a podcast about filmography. I know, I know. I just realized. I'm sorry. I panicked. Directors who experience massive success early on or issue a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes their checks clear. Jing. Yep. And then you just go about your day. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have That's a, a small clearing. coffee, please. Small. Honey, how was your day? Kids, good day at school. Go to sleep, Drinking wake up the next morning, you... check your app. Oh, no, check is still check clear. Check is still clear. Yeah. But sometimes they bounce, baby. Boing. Your life's in chaos. Uh, excuse me, could I have a cup of coffee? Here's your fucking coffee. Ah, Honey, how was your day today? Fuck you. Kids, how was school? Fuck you, dad. Kick him in the nards. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tony Sirico is one of the kids? Yes. Paulie Walnuts himself? This is a film I'm pitching where Tony Sirico <laughs> does the clumps and plays every member of the family. Oh, boy. And the coffee man. You know how many times Tony Sirico was arrested for organized crime activity? No. 28. Uh, I worked with makeup people who worked on The Sopranos, mm-hmm. uh, who were great. Uh, shout out to Stephen Kimbra. Yeah. And they worked for the whole round of the show. And they were telling me that a recurring issue was that David Chase was like so into like getting these real guys who had the real history. No, I mean, I mean, that's part of the success, isn't it? Yeah. Right. And then they constantly had like actors who couldn't come to set because there were arrest warrants out for them. <laughs> and there was one guy in particular. I don't remember who it was. I don't think it was a big part. But he like showed up on set and was like, okay, I'm ready for work. And they're like, you got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, it's the only show in history where the production was telling actors not to show up. He oh was like, God. but I learned my lines. And it's like, no, you're fucking wanted. Oh, I learned my lines. Oh, that was the line he learned. Hey. Oh, uh, so this is a podcast about the Sopranos. I'd love to do a podcast about the Sopranos. Do you know I have, I think, only seen uh, two episodes? That's nuts. Yeah. Uh, it's the best TV show. That's it's, what it's I'm sort of, told. I think it's like Citizen Kane where we have to sort of just stop like being like, but what is it this? And it's like, no, it's like Sopranos. That, you know, that was the show that did it. Can I just point out, we're going to be like coming off of like a run of yeah. like six weeks, almost two months with no new miniseries because we had this quarter in the fall where yeah. all our sort of running series. Have Spiel, Spielberg's there. Spielberg. Says, that was. We had another sibling. We had Justice another DC League. universe. Right, yeah. right. Uh, Avatar Land. I went to Avatar Land. So people have been like ch- chomping at the bit, right? Right. For a new miniseries. Right. And now we're talking, we're talking about, about the, Sopranos the Sopranos for five minutes. Yeah, well, it's this on is, HBO now. Mm-hmm. Let me swing. Crack. It's the sound of a new miniseries soaring off, and it's 
out of here. Uh-oh. That's how baseball commentators speak, right? Soaring off. Snap, crack, <laughs> and it's soaring off into out right, of what's here. What's the name of the miniseries? Jesus Christ. I, it's my fault, people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We just haven't seen each other a little bit, and it's exciting, but yeah. Yes. Uh, this is one I've been dying to do since our very early days. I feel like this is one of the guys we always talked about, Yeah. and it just felt like it's fucking time. Let's do it. This feels like a good zag, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah, we were like, this is the moment. Well, <laughs> the moment we decided was different than the moment Correct. when we started recording, which is also different than the moment when you will be hearing this Correct. episode. Correct, Moments. Correct. Moments slipping between our fingers. Yes. Um, but, but we are covering one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, Paul Verhoeven. That's right. And a miniseries that I have just decided, because we're recording this so far in advance— that I, I wasn't going to do the vote. I wasn't going to ruin it. And I went through the titles and I only think there's one that really, really works. Podship casters. Sure. <laughs> there's really nothing that works. That's fine. I think it's that or, or podcast hoven. Yeah. Podship casters. It's, this may series is called podship casters. Great. Now this is for the second time ever, a conditional miniseries. <laughs> Get excited. <laughs> We're putting ellipses around this baby. Yeah. Because we, we, very, we like people right. to listen to the show and yes. have seen the movies and be able to watch the movies easily. And and more and more people have been asking us about certain directors who just have unwieldy filmographies where we yeah. just can't do it. And so yeah. I think you're going to see us more and more oscillating between directors with manageable filmographies. Yeah. You know, 10 is kind of the ideal number, right? 10, 10 to 12 is 12 tops. We yeah. have a couple people coming up who have made fewer films. We're going to have a couple nice little short miniseries. Pow! Yeah, you know, just a little in and out. <laughs> yeah. And it's off and out of here. Yep, boxing. Yep. Um, but uh, I think more and more you're going to see us when there is a good sort of chunk of a career that has a sort of, you know, a feeling to it, a bubble around it. Yeah. A self-contained period. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. We're doing his English language movies right. is what we're, you're saying. The Hollywood films. Yeah. Right. So we're we're going from 1985 to 2000. That's where the check is blank. That's when, yes, the check is blank here. Yeah. Uh, before that, he's making Dutch movies. Hey. Those Dutch movies are very hard to see. And funded by the government. Yes. So is that a blank check? I don't know. Right. Kind of, but but like with conditions. Sure. Um, I today pulled the trigger and bought the long out of print Paul Verhoeven box set released by Anchor Bay in like 1999 of all the Dutch films. Oh, cool. It goes for way too much money. How much do you spend on this? I spent 150. It's a lot of money. The going price on Amazon is $400. So this is business is business, mm-hmm. Turkish delight. Uh, Soldier of Orange, All Things Pass, The Fifth Man, Spetters, The Fourth Man. Fourth Man. I always get the number wrong. And something called Kijitipal. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yes. That's what's in there. So I bought that box set. I will be watching those movies over the course of point. recording this mini series. So I may throw in hot takes at some point. I'm not going to have like a little fucking segment sidebar, but I'm saying I just want to be able to contrast. No, we'll talk about it. But yeah, we can't. We look. We can't. We're not I've cover seen that. Turkish Delight. And I saw Spetters a long time ago. I've seen some of them. I haven't seen any of them. But, uh, but we, we couldn't do a fucking we can't, Spetters we can't. episode. A lot of dick in that movie. Oh, I'm excited Soft then. Soft Dutch dick. My favorite kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, we, we, A, the check is blank at this period of time. 
and B, we can't do five consecutive episodes on movies. <sighs> Guys, that we're trying to make money even here. harder to watch than <laughs> half the Bigelow films, which were. I, I, look, I mean, thank you for listening to those episodes. I, we got a lot of listeners who uh, still followed along, even though the movies were impossible to see. Yep. Um, and ho- and hopefully they become more readily available. But this movie is on Amazon Prime. If you want to watch and Hulu. it, and Hulu, yes. Um, it is. It's kind of much like when we covered uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park. It's sort of a tweener. It's kind of the bridge film between the two phases mm. because he started out his first handful of films. And his work in TV all was funded by the Dutch government, right? Pretty much. You know, I mean, it's, I'm sure there was some private fund, but you know, it's like, that's, it's European filmmaking in the you, 70s. Right. Like, the, the, yes. There's can, an infrastructure to there's provide an infrastructure. like for national art. Right. And that also gives them some say. And also, well, he made Turkish Delight, which was this genuine box office smash. Mm-hmm. It like cost a few hundred thousand kroner or whatever yeah. the fuck not to dis- diss a dead currency mm-hmm. and it made millions and millions more you know like it made sure. like 10 times its budget it was a big dutch smash which is funny because it's like a super sexually explicit right romance yeah but it was kind of like right place right time it, it right tapped place, into a Holland, sexual revolution right time anytime right yeah <laughs> sure it's yeah, no, no, yeah, sure, for sure. But and and these governments, you know, even these countries where the uh the government has a more active role in in the funding and the oh, distribution yeah, of yeah. the Britain's arts like it too. They they like making money. If something's a hit, you they know. Do. I mean, I remember cuz Britain has cut back on its national funding cuz of yeah. conservative government among other things, but there was also yeah, it's like when well, some how movie do you know about that. <sighs> but in the Big Ben chimes. Big, oh, I plan on it. Big Ben over here. The Big Ben chimes? Yeah. The producer Ben chimes? No, no. The Benducer chimes? Okay. The Purdueer Ben chimes? Let's see what's on Twitter. The Mr. Positive chimes? The Haas chimes? The Mr. Positive chimes? The Birthday Benny chimes? The Dirt Bike Benny chimes? The Fuckmaster chimes? For who the Ben tolls? <laughs> <laughs> That's my noise for a great Ben bit. You got more? What are you doing? What is happening with you? You like frozen in time? The meat lover chimes? <laughs> the fart detective chimes? The peeper chimes? Our finest film critic chimes? Can I ask you a question? Are they Professor Crispy chimes? No. Okay. No. Sorry. Those chimes have graduated to certain tells over the course of different miniseries. That is true. Such as? Uh, well, what's... Kylo Ben chimes? Yeah. Producer Ben Kenobi chimes? Mm-hmm. Uh, ben and Chamelon chimes? Right. Say Benny Thing chimes? Yeah. Ben Sate chimes? Yeah. Ailey Benz with the dollar sign chimes. Right. We haven't recorded an episode in like six weeks. I'm forgetting that. All right. Anyway, fucking we're done with it. All right. What were we even talking about? We're talking about the British funding of the film industry. (laughs) We are rusty. That's all right. Yeah. No one's listening to this one anyway, right? I guess some people Everyone's listening to this one. Everyone. This is his least watched movie of the movies we're going to cover. Sure. It's his only movie that wasn't a huge financial success or Showgirls, which was in the end a huge financial success. But that's how our first episodes usually go. Yeah. Except for our next miniseries. Hint, 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 hint. <laughs> Although that movie was a bomb. His first movie. That's not true. Oh, I mean, not him. Not him. Sorry. Yeah. It's the next one whose first yeah. movie was a bomb. Got soundboard Sims over here. Hinty, hinty. You remember? It's that old Tignataro bit, the clown horn. <laughs> you know, it's good. <laughs> it is good. It's good. It's really easy to do. So, the Dutch government is funding his movies. Well, no. Here, no, 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 no. Let's go back. Okay. Um, what, what are we? 
Give me some context, baby. Paul Verhoeven. So often when my girlfriend is struggling to sleep. Humble wreck? Yes. uh, She will uh, be like, why don't you read uh, some boring shit to me so I'll fall asleep. Really? Yes. This is a common dynamic for us because I love to read, call up, say like Europa on Wikipedia, the planet uh, Moon Europa. Okay. He does protest too much. And just read facts, you know, because over here, Europa signaling my voice will send her straight to sleep, like, which I don't know if that's really a compliment or not. So it sounds like you hate Europa. Uh, Last night, why did I bring probably reading the Wikipedia? Yeah, jeez, you don't know that shit off the back of your hand. Damn, (laughs) I got a Europa tattoo on the back of your hand. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) this Europa fuck boy over here. So I actually, the listener at home, Ben is holding up the back of his hand, and I can verify. I swear to God, he's got a Europa tattoo on the Fake back of it. news. All right. Not true. Oh, all right. So Paul Verhoeven. So I read his Wikipedia page mm-hmm. yesterday. Aloud. That, that's more like a bedtime nightmare. Exactly. Because I knew enough. Because I remember reading yes. um, an interview with him in, in uh, Empire Magazine when I was a wee boy. When uh-huh. Hollow Man was coming out. His last yes. Hollywood movie. Yes. In which he talked a lot about how he grew up. Uh, in Holland during Nazi occupation. Okay, great. Because I have a similar anecdote I want to tell. Yeah. And uh, how much he thinks that affected his view of violence and the evil that people do. I saw him uh, do a Q&A after screening a Robocop. Oh, sure. Okay. About a year ago. They did a a full Verhoeven. It was called Total Verhoeven. He's an old man these days. At Lincoln Center. Yeah. He's he's almost 80. Dude still fucking got his fastball. Uh, Sure, sure, yeah. It's up and it's off and out of here. he does sound like Goldmember, right? He does. Yes, okay. Because we're going to do a lot of Goldmember on this. Right. Uh, He asked the audience if they wanted blints and a hookah. Um, Schmoking a pancake. Uh, (laughs) But um, there were two quotes he said. Just about the origins of his career and his artistic sensibility, I thought were very telling. Uh-huh. One of them was a more specific version of that, yeah. where someone asked him about the level of violence and sexuality in his films. Sure. Yeah. Which, let's just say, these are these movies. These movies are they're not for everybody. They're not for everybody. Is one way to put it. I was gonna say slippery, but they're they're tricky movies. He's, they're challenging he's, and they're aggressive at times. He's dealing with loaded guns all the time. Sure. Right. Yeah. But uh, I think it's more like he likes to fire guns yes, at you. Right. But he's dealing with very loaded, heavy subjects. Yeah, and these sure. movies feature a lot of sexual abuse. Yes. A, a lot, lot of, of extreme violence. violence. Yep. Right. Uh, he's a lot of depravity of, of human. Yeah. Um, he's kind of, all, in a lot of ways, then, the answer to what Hollywood was doing in the 80s. And, uh, you know, I think we talked about it a little bit in the yeah. King, when we were talking about Kingsman a way back. We're talking about, right, these people who are like, I'm showing you what you do just right. in a much less sanitized way. That's Verhoeven's kind of whole thing. I thought you thing, liked this. Right, is that know. he turns subtext into text. Sure, right. Yeah. Uh, he underlines things. But but should be noted that over the course of this miniseries and discussing these films, we're going to discuss a lot of things that are yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, that, that might be right. Yeah, so ju- just be aware, I guess, uh, in general— of of the triggers you may experience that are just requisite with uh, discussing any Paul Verhoeven plot synopsis. Yeah. Um, but he said uh, the, t- the two things that kind of really formed him were when he was a very young boy, he saw a Heronius Bosch painting. Heronius Bosch, isn't it? Jesus Christ. Okay. Wow. Got real dense in here. It's cold like Europa. God. David. Chilly. What? The David. surface of Europa is cold. I know. Okay. All right. For the listener at home, David's reading that off of his phone. 
He doesn't even know that. He said he saw this painting that was like a big war tableau, right? And, you know, this bloody, awful, you know, uh, yes, uh, yes. rape and Bosh. murder yes. and all this sort of, mm. uh, the battle between heaven and hell going mm. on. Mm. And in the background of the painting, there was a man uh, leaning against a shed taking a shit. Mm. I've heard this story too. Or maybe you've told, I told it you to this. Me. And yeah, Paul Verhoeven yeah, yeah. said, These are the kind of films I want to make. <laughs> <laughs> this is the art I want to make. Oh boy. Right? Yeah. But Bosch is like, you look at those paintings and they kind of are the like classical art version of what Verhoeven is doing in cinema. Sure. This sort of maximalist, sure. well, and also, expressionistic. Right. That's why he works in Hollywood because he's like, I'll use your money. Right. Oh yeah. Like right. I want to make as big widescreen a movie as I can. And you kind of want to turn it Without back on the system. Right. But sort of ad- address the ills and uh, of humanity. And then the other thing is, he said, you know, growing up, he would walk down the street and there would just be dead people lying there. Dead and people, he would see bombs, bombs flying going in the background. Off. His parents almost died from a right. bomb attack. He lived in the Hague as a young man, a young young boy. We're talking yes. when he was like five. Uh, next to a German military headquarters that was full of rockets. So the Allies were always trying to bomb that. Mm-hmm. So they were like, he lived like near more bombing. Ooh, yes. Sorry. Uh, more bombing than even before. But he said that that kind of desensitized him. Yes. Yeah, so he refers like, to his childhood as like running around gleefully being like, ha 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 ha. Because you know, right. he was a little kid, like right. having an adventure. But he just understood from a very, very young age the full extent of of the sort of evils and Maybe. and pain and suffering of humanity. That's what he thinks. That's what he was sort of saying, was that he was seeing What's the worst the happening thing? around him. Oh, no, no, you Those said the, the Bosch and the war. Okay, so right. I'm giving you connoisseur context. 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 Grew up in The Hague. Okay. Grew up during the war. Mm-hmm. Studied at Leiden University. Okay. In 1955. Study film? No. Double major in math and physics. Interesting. And he was like, maybe going to be an engineer or something. And instead, he goes to the Netherlands Film Academy and starts making movies in the early 60s. Interesting. So there's some, you know, whatever. He also, and this movie deals with it a lot, is very interested in theology. Sure. And is sort of like one of the greatest living experts on Jesus Christ. Loves Jesus. But he's like obsessed with I mean, Jesus interested as Jesus. a man yes. and knows pretty much as much as anyone alive. Like he's does. threatening to make a Jesus movie. Right. Yeah. I remember uh, a bunch of years ago he did a screening at IFC where he screened um, – he had his Jesus book coming out. He released a book about Jesus. He wrote a full book, a nonfiction book about Jesus, about his findings. Yeah, about like Jesus as a man and what he represented and all of that. It's I mean, talk about Jesus a figure that's like the right. most romanticized figure. Right. How what is Verhoeven yes. saying about but, it? But he's that's saying the thing. he's like a politician and right. he is like a re- rebel and he's yeah, go on. What he's interested in is stripping Jesus from the mythology and right. just dealing with who he was as a person existing in time with other people. In, in, is what he claims is like essentially the way Jesus behaved. Right according to historical record, is what we would think of as a terrorist. And Verhoeven just thinks that like, fight, Jesus was know. the most interesting human being who ever existed. Like, that's his hot take. But he, he screened Life of Brian and then did this whole like academic talk afterwards, which is apparently amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's never made his Jesus film. And I kind of feel like if he made his Jesus film, it would sort of be disappointing. Right. Like, it's kind of interesting to see how he peppers it into all his other films. Yeah, like this movie. Yes, and RoboCop, which is American Jesus, but we'll get to that next mm-hmm. week. Also, Superman Returns. Just want to put that out there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. 
Uh, anyway, Netherlands the, the, Film Academy. Uh, the yes, well, anyway, the surface temperature on Europa is minus two hundred sixty degrees He's Fahrenheit. Reading right. off no. of the computer. I was reading that off the computer. I also want to say <laughs> that I read off. Of a computer. I don't know if you guys ever do this, <laughs> but sometimes I go onto iTunes and I go to like our podcast page uh-huh. and I sort by popularity. Oh, okay, because I'm curious to see like at any given moment what the five most popular episodes are and our five least popular episodes are. Okay, because like the first Phantom episode is always in our top five. Yeah. Which is kind of cool that people are like always people going back to, to the, the show, beginning, sure. right? Yeah. And it's usually what a terrible like, episode, though. One of our worst. One of the worst. Yeah, one of the worst, if not the abject worst. We spend like ten minutes at the start being like, "So we're not going to talk about the original so here's movies. What we're do. Here's yeah. what we're going to do. It's going to be like a bit, okay? Yeah, okay. Are you guys ready for a bit? Okay. And now we're in no bits podcast, no bits cross mats. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I always look at the top five and the bottom five to see, like, aside from the okay. most recent episodes, which ones, like, really sink or swim. I, I think pretty consistently our episode on the two Cameron documentaries is our number one least listened to episode ever. And that's where the Europa bit comes and from. And we are committing so hard to repeating a bit that, that just hey, in man, terms right of mathematics. Now it's doing great. The smallest. Is it doing well right now? No, it's like the sixth least popular. <laughs> least popular is Denim Invasion. Right. I'm sorry. Denim Invasion is the only one. Bound is down there, which is too bad. Good movie. Praying with Anger is down there. Yeah. Uh, The Revenge of the Sith live episode. That one's down there. That's just a lot of episodes. The Loveless. You know, a lot of the obvious ones. I think Denim Invasion is actually always our our lowest. That's a brief. I mean, don't listen to that episode. Deep cut. (laughs) No, it's not. Listen to it. That's great. great. George Lucas is on it. Yeah, it's great. The real George Lucas. I got this tattoo. It's cool. It's really good. (laughs) I don't get the, oh, the Europa tattoo. Yeah, but then he's got, on the other hand, he's got a tattoo of a pair of Gap jeans. <laughs> right now, our Minority Report episode with Joe Rowe is uh, high up there. Well, let's not just fucking talk about which episodes of ours are doing well. We've got 362 reviews. Damn. Maybe we we'll really read a review. It. Maybe we'll read a review. Old time's sake. Yeah, okay. Remember when we used to like read reviews on the show? Yeah, remember when we were still a podcast? <laughs> what are we now? I don't know. Chaos. <laughs> okay. Chaos All right, so yeah, he starts making the movies. He marries a nice lady who he's been married to his whole life. Mar- Martine, maybe she's a mean lady. What do I know? But uh, <laughs> Martine Tour, who a, he's been married lady, to, a lady of indiscriminate disposition. Yeah, he's been married to her for fifty years. Hey, in twenty seventeen, like that's this year was their fiftieth anniversary. Pretty incredible. Pretty impressive. Pretty he's, impressive. He had two kids with her, two daughters, Claudia and Helen. Who uh, must be like 45 now, right? Yeah, yeah, and totally not warped at all. And uh, they're, look, they're Dutch. People hey, know, hey, it's hey, different. hey. It's a different hey, place. Hey, they're not warped. They're twisted. <laughs> <laughs> twisted. All right. Uh, he was in the Dutch Navy uh, oh, for a couple years. Okay. And he made a uh, documentary about the Dutch Navy, which won an award for military films. Hmm? And then he makes Oh, this, a Millie? Yeah. Yeah, Millie Bobby Brown. Uh, he makes Business is Business. Pocahontas. Which is some, thank you, feature, some tiny yeah. little movie that I've never seen. I assume it's in your little box set. Uh, it is. I believe that. It's some weird like movie about pro- pro- prostitutes. I believe that film is about sex workers. Yes. Uh, I think. A, a I, lot I know of nothing about those it. Those early Verhoeven movies, they're tricky because they all have multiple titles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. I think Business and Business also has a different title that's like a proper first name. Uh, Which I, but I never know if I'm confusing them. Because I think you of might that. be confusing, but anyway, it doesn't matter. It's like te- five films that have ten titles between them. Right, anyway, well, whatever. Anyway. In '73, he makes Turkish Delight, mm-hmm. which stars a young Rutger Hauer, who uh-huh. is his constant collaborator in the Dutch movies, and not since. Yes, which I uh, want to talk about. We'll get to that though. Yeah, we can get to that later. Yeah. Um, 
So Turkish Delight, which is this like passionate romance about like young, liberal, kind of radical kids in love. Very sexually explicit. Right. Huge hit. Gets an Oscar nomination. It's like a sexual revolution for foreign comedy, film. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he makes this movie called Katie Tipple, which I think is a period piece. Okay. Starring the same pair, Rucker Hauer and the actress is called Malik van der Ven. Okay. And then he makes Soldier of Orange, which is super violent. Mm-hmm. It's a movie about the um, Dutch resistance to the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Starring Rutger Hauer and Yero and Krabbe, who's uh, also somebody who works with a lot. They're five straight Rutger movies, yeah. right? Yeah. That gets like a Golden Globe nomination and like a LAFCA award, I think. you know. So like okay. he's getting attention in America yeah. for all these movies. Then he makes Spetters, which is the movie that even the Dutch government was like, Paul, you have gone too far. Get the fuck has a lot of, of explicit gay sex along with a lot of explicit straight sex. Uh-huh. It's kind of his loveless. Sure. Because it's about like aimless biker people, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, I have I have seen that movie. That movie is um, I googled like Spetters streaming, and I was directed to Pornhub. Cool. That movie is in full available on Pornhub. If you just want to watch it on Pornhub, it just that was you know like, hot you, tip. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean he Pornhub was like let's not even clip it. Just put it on. Well, this people sense, have fun with it. This the whole movie being desensitized to stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up in extreme circumstances. Uh, he also always says he's like. People say my, my violence and my sex is explicit. It's not true. I'm the only one who shows sex and violence the way it actually is. Sure. It's like no one has ever had sex the way people have sex in a Paul Verhoeven movie. But I also think there is something to the fact that he gets to like these impressionistic levels of like violence doesn't look in real life the way it does in Verhoeven movies. Mm-hmm. But violence feels the way Paul Verhoeven violence looks mm-hmm. in terms of how upsetting it is. It's very convenient. I was wrong. I'm sorry. He also made The Fourth Man. That was his right. last Dutch movie. But you know what I'm saying? Like he, he makes the these one very without, um, visceral. Rucker. When he has violent scenes, when he has sexual scenes, they're very visceral and they're very mm. protracted. Mm. Often. Right. And I th- I think he's getting to something greater that I don't know if it's a conscious thing of like, I need to heighten it so that it connects to people or if in his mind, that's how he perceives reality, which by his own admission, that's kind of what it is. I think it's a little bit of that. Right. But uh, isn't that true of a lot of directors where yeah. they have a unique perspective on something mm-hmm. and that's what makes them special, but also super weird. Yep. Mm-hmm. And this guy's super weird. He's weird. Yeah. So, um, after he he essentially is now at this point in the mid eighties, he's having trouble getting the Dutch government to subsidize his movies because they are so uh, controversial. And he said he was getting really frustrated with that and feeling more and more pressure for them in terms of what they wanted him to do. And so this movie is the bridge where he goes like, "Can I get money from other places? Yeah, Can so I start to piece to it together?" Orion Pictures. But this isn't fully like a Hollywood movie. No, but they gave him yeah. most of the money. They gave most of the money. He has a lot of Italian money. These 80s movies always, there's a right. lot like Piranha 2 where yeah. it's like yeah, some Italian guy <laughs> right. who is like, hey, yeah, my wife's got to be in it though or whatever, right. you know. But yeah. this movie is a Dutch-American-Italian co-production sure. with money pieced together. They had Orion. I'm seeing Spanish, not Italian. But Oh, maybe I'm I mean, getting that wrong. I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, American-Dutch-Spanish film. I felt like there was some Italian in there. <laughs> Look, don't, don't. Let's not stereotype. Anyway. Um, um, when but, Orion comes aboard, though, yes. he he writes a movie. Yeah. I think he wrote it. No, he wrote it with a guy called Gerard Soteman. And he had done a TV series. Who had written series. a lot of movies with him and wrote black books with him much later. He did a TV series with Rucker Howard that was a medieval show. Yes, he did. So they had worked in this. That pen, was where he discovered him. Patina, if you will. Floris. And he said that this was kind of like some ideas they had left over from the show. 
But, right, but that which was is essentially a where they're like, show. exactly yeah. where they're like, let's not varnish right life in the fifteenth century or whatever. Which is where know? I think this movie shares a similarity with The Loveless. Uh huh. Sure. Where it's like, let's take this sort of like set of aesthetics and this sort of culture and this like film genre that has become really <laughs> like romantic, and engage with how gross this really was. Because from the opening of this movie, you're like, this is fucking disgusting. Yeah. In every sense of that word. Um, but yeah, he, he puts it together. Orion has the most money, so they are able to sort of, uh, throw down the most creative control and notes, but he's getting it from all sides on this movie. I mean, everyone's coming to him saying, can you make it a little more like this, a little less than this? And he speaks to this movie with great frustration. Yes. He doesn't like this movie. He said he did not want the Jennifer Jason Lee character in it at all. Orion demanded there be a female character, he ju- which is the first of many examples yes. that we will cover in which a Hollywood studio comes to Paul Verhoeven and says, can you do this for us? And he's like, yes, Yes, I think I have an idea, and they should have asked more questions. Right. <laughs> Do you want to make an Invisible Man movie? Hmm. Yes. Just yes. give me the money first. Uh, g- yes, you have the money? I, the budget right yeah. here? You know, like. No, uh, I got the money. It's too late. <laughs> uh, and so. Um, but it's crazy. It were, to me. Originally, yeah. this movie was going to be about these two men. He just wanted it to be. Uh, who were kind right. of like at war with each other. You know, the Rucker Hauer. As the uh, raider, yes. you know, the sort of Martin. pillager. Martin. And Jack Thompson as Harkwood, who's the, I mean. No, Harkwood's the other guy. Harkwood's the, his like. Uh, this is what I'm getting at. Oh, right. The, the, that was going to be the conflict. Right. Yes. Um, and then they demand a love interest. Yeah. So he decides to turn Stephen, the sort of good boy, into yeah. like the part of like a love triangle Paul Verhoeven love triangle, right. though. Which I'll know. say, I think if the Jennifer Jason Lee character was not in this movie, this movie would be incredibly boring. Uh, I think if sure. it was the film that he thought he wanted to make that was just a rivalry between two men, yeah. I think aside from the sort of aesthetics and and how he was depicting this world, it would be painfully generic. Um, well, he says, uh, let me find the exact quote. Um, in retrospect, we should have stuck with Hawkwood and Martin. The failure of Flesh and Blood was a lesson to me. Never compromise the main storyline of a script. Says the man who made Showgirls. So, But that's the thing. Like, love it or hate it, all the movies from here on out, I think you look at them and you go, yep, every single frame of this movie is what Paul Verhoeven wanted. <laughs> sure. You we'll, know? T- we'll talk about I, Showgirls. I, but, I, but I think those movies truly do, like, fit into that. Yeah. I think this is the one where it's very much a Paul Verhoeven movie. I wasn't sure if this was going to feel like a Piranha 2 where it's, like, a guy testing it out before he figures out how to gain control in Hollywood. It's through and through, like, of a piece with his filmography. I don't know if this movie would be of any interest if you were watching it in a bubble without any sense of who this guy was and what he'd go on to do in his I think themes. it would be of some interest. It's well made. It's well made, but it's also, it's unusual. But viewing it like as part of his filmography, it's fascinating. It is. Uh, he wanted to make a movie that was, quote, stinking. Yeah. A mission accomplished, Polly. He wanted to, to depict how gross, like literally gross, yeah, disgusting. poopy, yeah. one might say, a Medieval Times were. Yeah. Not Medieval Times, the restaurant. Although I heard that's his next film. Yes, Medieval Times. He's doing a sordid expose of Medieval Times. <laughs> um he also wanted Rucker Hauer's character to be very morally ambiguous and villainous. Uh-huh. And Rucker Hauer, apparently, who's coming off of making Blade Runner, yes. is like, I want to play a hero. 
So that's weird. So I want to talk about this for a little bit. So I think that might be informing Rucker Howard's performance in this movie. I think so too. Yeah. But I want to talk about this for a little bit because I think there are a couple interesting phenomenons that are represented by that. Okay. One is this thing okay. I always okay. 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 Sorry. Probably still president, right? I don't know. Hopefully not. Uh, okay. This thing I always find fascinating. <laughs> Uh, David is tickling Ben. <laughs> ben is not amused. Ben's eyes are closed. He is awake, but he doesn't want to look at us. He is Europa. sitting at the board with his hands on his chest, picking his nails. Now his hand is rubbing his He had his to forehead. listen to us like talk for an hour or two before we even fucking started recording. All right, keep going. <laughs> this thing that I find interesting, yeah, which is when like a foreign auteur yeah. who is starting to gain some reputation, some renown, you know, maybe some some foreign language nominations, you know, maybe some good critical yeah, okay. notices. I get you. Yeah. And their leading man or leading lady both carry over to Hollywood. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Like, I think Howard and Verhoeven both, like, those movies were so big for both of them. Sure. Yeah, Rucker, Howard, and Verhoeven, they were like a pair, but— right. I, Very I, different I, Hollywood careers. Sure, but I think in a similar way to like Von Trier and Skarsgård. I think in a similar way, perhaps to uh, fuck. There was another well, example. Von Trier's never made a Hollywood movie, though. Nor will he ever make a Hollywood movie. But 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 sort of got onto the bigger yeah, stage. Sure, sure, sure. And and what often happens is the filmmaker continues making their own weird esoteric right. movies, and this star who they used to work with all the time now becomes like a more commercial. Hollywood person. Uh, Almodovar and Banderas. <sighs> yep. I'm not saying they necessarily fall into the Hollywood system, but that okay. they What's both your get point? big. I always find that very fascinating okay. when it's an actor and director who work together that much. But often what happens is when they both get big, they never work together ever again. Right? I guess so. It is. Do you know why they didn't work together again? Apparently because they... He, they fought on this movie? Howard was so pissed off yeah. that Verhoeven wouldn't let him be like a fucking matinee idol hero. Because he was afraid of being typecast after Blade Runner as and, and also, a I foreign think, baddie. Well, right. When you are a, I mean, he's Dutch, but, you know, but, Germanic villain, yes. a Teutonic looking guy but that's also who's the, played a villain or two, you're yeah. worried that I'm going to be a villain for Hollywood. That's it. But also most foreign actors who become big in the States do so playing villains. Sure, maybe. It's a tradition yes. that goes back to like fucking Peter Lorre, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I think that's a thing. That's the joke when, like, some great foreign actor gets on for an Oscar, and that's like, great, now he's just going to play fucking Bond villains, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, Christopher Waltz. Right. Yeah. And so I think Howard was very afraid of that, wanted to fight that. Of so course, he fought on the movie. Right. Then he goes on to make, like, the fucking Hitcher and shit, you know? Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, Howard's career is nothing. I mean, right. the he only movies, into it. he makes, yeah. like, the Hitcher and Lady Hawk, and then it's like, right. he's a nobody. But it becomes I mean, a not villain. a nobody, but yeah. he's... He, but he mostly is I know. a Hollywood villain. Uh, I agree. I just think it's interesting not not to like fucking poke a a, a, a a bee's nest here, you know? A hornet's nest, if you will, a beehive. What are you talking about? But in this industry where like people are fucking morally reprehensible, but you continue working with them, there are like all these like artistic partnership splits that happen just based off of ego. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, apparently the reason that like Murray and Ramis didn't talk for like fucking 15 years 
is that Murray was like, I want Groundhog Day to be more dramatic. We've talked about this. And Ramis was like, I want to be more comedic. And then they didn't talk for a decade and a half. We've, we've talked fact, about this on the podcast. Right, that the movie was perfect. And I think there was yeah, a well, similar also, thing. I think with, the other thing that happened there was that Ramis is a really nice guy, or was a really nice yes. guy. Bill Murray's like an awful person. Very difficult. Yes. <laughs> uh, but like Howard and Verhoeven, they just had this disagreement, you know? Maybe. I Look. Whereas got, like Kinski and fucking Herzog were able to like bottle that that tension yeah they're an extreme example yes though. i mean yeah because kingsky like tried to murder her thug, right. like the all the time that howard like still <laughs> won't fucking work with verhoven because it's like well he didn't let me be a hero well do you fucking think that's going on ago. now I, I, don't know. I don't know i mean rucker howard is having a bit of a second life right now i feel like uh-huh maybe not though he's an excellent actor he's a fantastic actor yeah I love him in this. I love him in the other Verhoeven movies I've seen. I love him in Blade Runner so much. I think that's like an all-time great performance. Let's talk about his greatest performance of all time, Earl in Batman Begins. He's so good in Earl in Batman Didn't Begins where he did, he wrote a memo, but then doesn't get the later memo. Yes. but and, I he, mean, and he did his due diligence. He asked people if they got the memo. Anyway, um, but it's like, it's not like I'm going to tell you, like I'm looking at his recent where I'm like, Oh, yeah, he's great in the Scorpion King 4 quest for power. Okay, no, he is good in that. Stop being a dick. <laughs> he's good in that. Uh, Lou Ferrigno's in that movie. Yeah, Lou Ferrigno's in all this. You know, I feel like some of these actors might not be Egyptian, though. Barry Bostwick? <laughs> Michael Bean? M. Emmett Walsh? This is the craziest cast list I've ever seen. Barry Bostwick is the waspiest <laughs> actor of all time. Barry Bostwick is in the Scorpion King 4. As the king of Egypt or a king. There seem to be two kings. Because Rucker Howard is also placing, playing a king. Do you think he was like, I have to be a king? And they were like, no one's going to check anyway. Yeah, you're king. <laughs> like, there's two kings. And it's like the first Scorpion King is like, okay, they didn't cast Egyptian actors. Yeah, there's but three like, kings because there's the Scorpion King. I forgot about him. He's a fucking king. <laughs> right. But the Scorpion King, okay, Samoan actor, right? Kelly, who is the female lead. She's Hawaiian. Michael Clark Duncan is African-American. Like, at least you're not casting white people. By the time you get yeah. to Scorpion King 4 and it's like the mayor from Spin City is playing the <laughs> no, pharaoh. To be fair, I don't think he plays the Scorpion. <laughs> no, but what does he play? What does he play? The Tarantula King? <laughs> he what if they were like really running low with them? The, the Ladybug King. <laughs> By the way, our next miniseries is the Scorpion King franchise. He's playing King Yannick. Yeah, you got Scorpion King 3, which has Billy Zane and Ron Perlman. You want you want to know an anecdote I love? I don't know if it's two or three. Is one of them called Rise to Power? Uh, that is, number two is called Rise of a Warrior. Okay, that's the one I'm thinking of. Which has, oh uh, boy, I think it has Kurt Angle in it, the wrestler. Batista's in one of them too. Um, is he? Ooh. I think uh, Rise of a Warrior carries a title that no other film carries. Oh, no, it's Randy Couture. So okay. No, no. I believe Batista's in one of them. Uh-huh. Um... Yes, he's in three. Thank you. The Battle for Redemption. Thank you. And that film, of course, was directed by Roland Joffe. Um, uh, Scorpion King 2, yeah. Rise of a Warrior, I believe is the only film in history that is a prequel to a spinoff of a sequel of a remake. Let me track that one more time. <laughs> so you're saying... The Scorpion 2 is a prequel to Scorpion King 1. Right. It's a prequel documenting the rise of the Scorpion King scene in the first Scorpion King, which is a spinoff of The Mummy Returns, which is a sequel to The Mummy, which is a remake of The Mummy. But let's be clear. The Scorpion King is a prequel to The Mummy. It returns. And The Mummy, I guess. Because it's set in ancient Egypt. Okay. So pick your poison. You so can either I'm saying say it's, it's a, prequel a prequel to a prequel. prequel right. But it's a, it's a sidequel, kind of. 
it's a prequel to a spinoff is fine. <laughs> that was then sequelized. Right. Uh, right. So I guess that's more interesting. A Scorpion King three is a sequel to a prequel <laughs> to a spinoff <laughs> to a sequel <laughs> to a remake. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yes. So this is our episode about Flesh and Blood. Mm. It's a 1985 movie that was made with weird money and was barely yeah. released. It cost $6.5 million. Yeah. It uh, was supposedly released on August 30th, 1985 in New York and Los Angeles. Legend has Box it. office mojo has no data of it making any money. Okay. But it, I mean, so it did get a release. Yes. It must have just been so small. It was never released wide. Yeah. And very quickly it was put on HBO, which at the time was tied to Orion in some way. Yes. So like movies would get to HBO faster. And I think it built a bit of a reputation there. I mean, yes. This is and such, became like right. a somewhat well-known cult movie. Like you imagine if you were 12 years old and this came on HBO at like 10 o'clock at night, you would be fucking fascinated. You'd be like, what the fuck is sure, this? It's right. Which is how like a lot of these movies built reputations. Well, and also it has this poster that looks like you know, the poster for Willow like or Dragon Legend Slayer. or whatever. Exactly. Right. Where it's like this sort of nice painted poster. Here, I'll show and you. And that's ben. also what I love about now that we'll finally start talking about the movie at minute 565. But the opening credits of this film, this movie has this amazing- This one's even better. Basil Polyodorus score. It does. Great score. And the score sounds like it could fit on fucking Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. Like it's yeah. a conventionally heroic, uplifting, mm-hmm. like medieval swords epic score mm-hmm. that's like thrilling. Yeah. And then it goes straight from those credits to like fucking- depravity like yeah, now we're in madness. a Bosch painting well yeah because it's just like they're on like some fucking hill right outside of a castle it looks like it smells like a walled terrible. town it's a poopy movie let's be clear everyone right. is pooping just taking a poop right all the, the time the movie that this like is like you said right. it's the Bosch guy the movie that this is aesthetically most similar to weirdly is uh, Monty Python the Holy Grail yes but, but also because it has that kind of look where like right. it's raining and they right. went to some like historic place right but, yes and like then they were just like let's just throw sand around you know like. but Terry Gilliam always talks about how he wanted Holy Grail to be the only comedy that looked like a Pasolini movie like he wanted it to be like disgusting and look like it smelled bad. And it also was like a cheap movie. So it has that like grimy, like low stock. And it's like, yeah, it just looks like it was miserable to film. But the movie starts, it's like people shitting themselves and like fucking stabbing each other. And then a pregnant prostitute comes out serving beer to them. And it's like the most maximalist. She's nine months pregnant too. Yeah, It's the most maximalist first 20 seconds of a film I have ever seen. But it's also done in this very like, elegant like yeah. swooping like tracking sure. shot like you compare this to the opening of lincoln which is like here are these men in the mud you see them stomping mud. each other and it's these quick cuts and it's we're very only jarring movies to movies we have covered on this podcast hey we're trying to create a this BCU. movie's a lot like the loveless and lincoln bcu <laughs> blank check universe oh wow okay mm-hmm. um susan tyrell plays uh, the the woman serving the beer, beer, the nine months pregnant serving the beer. An amazing character actress. Uh, she's amazing in this movie. She's got a lot of uh, screen time in this movie. Yes. Uh, have you ever seen Fat City? No, no. She was Oscar nominated for Fat she City. Was. John Huston's last film, I believe. No, because didn't he make uh, Annie? Was that? Oh, you're right. You're right. That was And after. he made The Dead. So it wasn't it? his last film. No. I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. No, he made many more movies. Right. He and made one, Chris two, Honor. three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We don't need 11 more movies. Okay, so I am a piece of shit. <laughs> but yeah, he did. He made Annie. He made Under the Volcano. He made Prissy's Honor. He made The Dead. You know, yeah, made some big movies. 
Fat City's really interesting because he was a very uh, classical old Hollywood guy, and this was him making a new Hollywood movie, and Mm -hmm. Susan Terrell is fucking amazing in it, playing, Mm -hmm. like, uh, the modern-day version of this character. Yeah. Like a barfly. Yeah. Um, And uh, had no idea she was in this. Is is awesome. Uh, But, but like, from the get-go, you're seeing these people who are just, like, like— there, people are dying, people are succeeding, and everyone's just having, like, a fucking fun time. Like, it's rolling off their back. Like, it's just like, this is the awful time we live in, and if you can survive, like, you know, history is written by the victors. Yeah, a little bit, of, right, exactly. Right. Well, what's happening in the opening scene is This is that, also a very class-obsessed movie. What's happening in the opening scene yes. is that a bunch of raiders i mean what are they they're mercenaries marauders yeah. mercenaries uh led by rucker Hauer and uh um, including bruno kirby his name came up i was like you kidding me he's in the movie jumped straight out of a time machine <laughs> uh you yeah, anyway um they are laying siege to a castle yes that some lord what's the lord's name uh arnolfini yeah this guy fernando hillback yeah is like i left and they occupied my city go take it and then yeah. you can like have 24 hours just pillaging the city right. and before i kick you out the terms of his deal are essentially like that old toys r us contest where they give you like 10 minutes on the clock and you get to go through sure. with it's a the- supermarket sweep yes exactly yeah, but like the Toys R Us kid. You are a Toys R Us kid. So he's like, all you got to do is enter a bunch of times, and if you take down my enemy, get the city back for me. 24 hours, I'll look the other way, I'll cover my eyes, and you just take whatever you want. Right. Instead— And these guys are hedonists. They just want they, they, they just want to fucking just steal. Yes. Instead—but but so Harkwood, mm-hmm. who's Jack Thompson— Yes. Who's sort of the leader. Mm-hmm. He's against Rucker Howard, though, who's like his former buddy. Yes. Because I think he doesn't really approve of Rutger Hauer's methods. This guy right. has a method to his madness. Rutger Hauer is just chaos. Yeah, and so Harkwood also is obsessed with this nun who's like only in the first like part of the movie and kind of gets forgotten later. Right. Like who's having these weird seizures. Yes. I, the, the opening of this movie is really chaotic. And everyone keeps on writing her off. It's like, she's crazy. Don't deal with her. Yeah, and He's yeah, like, yeah. she's not he's crazy. He's like, he wants, I, I can help her. She does seem to be a, a neurodiverse woman but like, in a time without proper... Mental health, of course, care. but I mean, but also but he cares for her as a human being. He also yeah. slashed her head open. I think that's sort of it's an issue. Has something to do right. with that. that he feels up. bad about that. Yes, Ben's not happy about this He's movie at all. No, it was upsetting. Yes, it's it an very upsetting, upsetting. Movie. But I think it's, uh, not not to make this argument. I think that's kind of the point. And I think this is a movie where there are no conventional pleasures, right? This movie uh-huh. is just about like like digging into like the morass of this shit, this time, these people, <laughs> these souls, right? Yeah. And then from this film on, he figures out how to take everything he's interested in and put it into the body of a conventionally entertaining Hollywood movie, which is what makes this film so interesting, the tension between the two. But this movie has no characters to root for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Th- th- the stakes of the movie are very odd and oblique. Because at a certain point, it just becomes, let's just fucking do whatever we want, and let's just try to defend our right to do whatever we want. Yeah. You don't really want to see anyone succeed or fail, you know? Like, this no. movie is just like, well, it's like the fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. Sure. You're kind of rooting for someone in that one, though. Here, Ben. It's like a biker gang movie. What did well, you text like me? the Loveless BCU. BCU, only reference films we've talked about before. Ben, ben you texted me 
uh, we texted. Well, the yeah, two of I got us. so mad. I'm like, who am I supposed to root for? Who's the hero in this? Right, nobody. And that was and the I big said, complaint against you're the rooting movie. for the plague. That's yeah. who you're rooting for yes. in this movie. And yeah. I kill think so. everyone. Yeah. Yes, but that's even Steven's little shit. Fuck that guy. Steven sucks. Like, I also just love that. Like, when I mean, this- that's Paul Verhoeven being like these chivalrous people were like, you know, it's all bullshit, right? Like he's mad about right. that. This fucking SJW. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> no, but I do love that like when this movie came out and critics were just like, what the fuck is this? Uh-huh. Who are we supposed to root for? This movie has no heroes. That guy who played Steven must have been like, I mean, my character doesn't like right, my character right, murder doesn't people. actively murder right. people for no reason. Sexually or, assault like, sexually women. assault people. Right. Think, they're like, yeah, but you suck. Yeah, but you're annoying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think a reason why I was bummed out too is like I kind of think everything's bullshit. Uh-huh. And this was like confronting you with that a little yeah, bit. I'm yeah, I'm like, oh yeah. fuck. Damn. I guess, yeah. It's very nihilistic. That's yeah. Funny. I'm like, yeah. man, I'm I have to be more fun. I have to start being nicer to people. Yeah. <laughs> wow, so twenty eighteen, you're a fun Ben. You're I'm gonna fun. try to be more fun. Fun yeah. Ben. You're the fun, fun Ben. Um, yeah. my friend Pat decided one year that he wanted to start cooking more Pat sure. who listens to the show shout out to Pat May and he dubbed that year that was his New Year's resolution that he wanted to start cooking meals so he could save money and eat better mm-hmm. and he dubbed it the year of the chef <laughs> great <laughs> which I never stopped laughing at because it's so self-aggrandizing I'm just not like oh it's not just I'm going to cook this year I'm going to be a chef <sighs> you're the chef shout out to Pat May thank you Pat May um, so they pillaged the town. Padme? Padme. 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 Um, Padme Nibiri. Did we ever figure <laughs> out which one she was? Um, which one is she again? Padme. What do you mean? Is she Nibiri or Amidala? Oh, Nibiri is the fake one, I think. Amidala is the real one. Yeah. Anyway, they, they pillaged the town and immediately the Lord's like, get uh, out of here. Never mind. Uh, no, 24 hours? Are you crazy? Get the fuck out of here. I want all this shit. They're like, oh, but you promised. He was like, yeah, I promised before I was in my castle. Yeah. Now I'm in my castle. Right. You guys got nothing What's on What's this around us? My castle. Right. Yeah. My castle, my rules. Rule one, go away. Right. So it's a group of like eight mercenaries and eight prostitutes who all hang out together. Yes. Uh, and almost immediately upon being kicked out, uh, the, uh, the Susan Tyrell's uh, character, Susan Tyrell's character Celine, yes. uh, gives birth to a dead baby. Right, she's been there pregnant She's handing out these beers. Scene. And and you realize quickly that it is uh, Rucker Hauer's baby, presumably. Sure. There's this running it's certainly, joke for a little bit. Who knows whose baby it is. But they seem to be somewhat together as much as any two people can be together in this amorphous like puddle yeah, this, of sexuality. Right, this isn't really a monogamy situation Right, here, but they kind of yes. got a thing. Yes. Um, she gives birth. It is stillborn. Mm-hmm. They treat this like water rolling off their back because their lives suck well, so much. Well, she's a little sad. But, but actually, yeah, the, the woman who delivers it is nice where she's just sort of like, I mean, it's cold right now. You but know? then even she goes like, who did he look like? And Rucker Howard's like, he looked like me. And she sort of smiled. Like, it's like, we got to find the lemonade yeah. in this lemon almost immediately because our life is just going to suck. Yeah. Um. So they're they're at rock bottom, this group. Yeah. Not a group you're rooting for to get out of rock bottom. Right. But they're not doing well. And he decides he's going to bury his stillborn son. Mm-hmm. And in digging, he finds a statue. Of St. Martin. His patron saint. Yes. A man, a Sen- saint with a sword, which is unusual. Yes. Uh, St. Martin of Tours. Because he cut off the hands of thieves. Uh, yes. Venerated as a military saint. And they go, this is a sign. 
Yeah. We're the good thieves. <laughs> right. The things we were going to stole were stolen from us by the guy who told us originally we had free reign to steal them. Right. And there is a cardinal, although I don't think he's a real cardinal, because cardinals tend to be like, you know, important people sure. in the 15th century. But sure. there's a religious man with yeah. them who is insane. Yes, this movie uh, uh, hates organized religion. Ronald Lacey's character, who yes. is like, oh, yes, Martin will be our new leader. You a know? fucking charlatan. And they literally, the, like, the statue has, like, a pointing finger, and they're like, right. let's, let's just go, go wherever it's pointing. Way. Yes. Like, wherever so, it's pointing is relative to where we place it. So then cut to the Lord's son, Stephen. Yeah. Played by Tom Berlinson. Who is this guy? I don't know. I looked at the poster. Like, He's Australian. The poster with its like painting style. Yeah. I was like, is that Tom Berenger? And then the movie started and I saw the name come up and I was like, did they just misspell Tom Berenger? <laughs> it's not Tom Berenger. I know. And the poster kind of looks like Tom Berenger weirdly. Yeah. He's not a real guy. I mean, he he's just, he's, he's an Australian, Australian actor. actor. Yeah. Um, and he's a number he's one the young son. Boy. He's betrothed yeah. to Agnes, yes. who, Jennifer Jason Lee. Right. Who's a young, still like ingenue, right? I mean, Fast Times Richmond High is 82. Yeah. Uh, what else? Like, this is a in? weird choice for her to make at this point in her Easy career. money. Yeah, she had yeah. not made a lot of movies yet. Yeah, this is very early for her. Grandview, USA, right. But yeah. she's kind of the only big American actor in this film. Uh, yeah. Her and Bruno Kirby. <laughs> uh, Jack Thompson's, well, he's not American, but, uh, you know, he's he's a fairly, at that point, well-known actor. I noticed he'd I been said in, American. Yeah, you're right. But he'd been in Breaker Morant, and uh, so, like, people had heard of him, I think. He but, was, but, but, I said American. Made in the USA, baby. So. He's right. Uh, his dad, who's this? this the Lord. F- this fuckhead Lord, Lord right? Uh, Arnold Feeney or whatever. Says, great news. Your wife's coming. She's going to be here in like 15 minutes. Yeah, and so we have some stuff with her wife. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, I made a deal. She's coming here. I've been writing letters on your behalf. No big deal. <laughs> She's a virgin. And the kid's like, get the fuck out. This is gross. Shut up, dad. Then we cut to her in her carriage, right? Yeah, and who's her handmaiden? Bart Simpson. Yeah. Do you know this? You know that she's got no. the kind of randy handmaiden who's like, right, ooh, right, right. that's uh, Nancy Cartwright who voices Bart Simpson. One of her rare live action yeah. film roles. Weird. Hey, it's uh, all weird. That's a bummer too because her character sucks. <laughs> she's not the best. Well, what about the part where she does the Bart man? <laughs> I like that part. I mean, that at least like made it a little bit more palpable. Remember that part? There's that weird anachronistic part where they just cut to the field and she's there doing the Bart man yeah. popping Butterfinger BBs. They, they cut between that and like when uh, the young queen is watching her fuck. Yeah. And she goes, never lay a finger on my butterfinger. Not only does she watch, she comes and interrupts them having sex in the field. And their reaction is like, eh, I don't know. It was fun, though. Right. So she, know, like, she, she spanks her <laughs> to be with a stick. Spanks her Bar- in a fun way. Bart Simpson's horny. Jennifer Jason Lee's like, I'm about to go be married to this guy. He's going to want to have sex. What's it like? And yeah, she's asking her like? questions. Sure, sure, sure. And she seems like really kind of fascinated and excited by this. And she sees the maid flirting with this knight, and it's like, go fuck him. And Bart Simpson's like, don't have a cow, man. What are you talking about, right? This is our worst episode. <laughs> uh-huh. And she's like, go behind those bushes. Fuck him now. Oh, God. And Bart Simpson's like, Millhouse. <laughs> I'm so mad at you. We haven't even gotten to like the most important parts of the movie yet. Shut up. And Jeffrey Jason Lee's like, I command you. Okay. I'll fire you if you don't do it. Uh-huh. Sort of like uh, Monty Burke. Yes. Uh, yeah, she pulls a real Burns just, to... Just, so she smithers her pretty hard. 
and forces her to go behind this bush and fuck this guy. And after like 15 seconds comes out with a branch and like hits his butt a lot and then like runs away with Bart Simpson laughing. It's weird. She's got a weird sexuality, this character. And then she meets with Steven and they eat a mandrake. And both together. of them are kind of like, look, I'm not happy about this either. Like Steven kind of really resents her. But then they eat the mandrake, which is supposed to like bond them. Right. They eat a mandrake underneath two hanging corpses. Yep. They're real corpsey too. These aren't yes. just like dead bodies. And he's not shooting around them. And no. he mentions that when a man is hung. They come in their pants. And that means something. Uh, sure, it means that their seed spills and creates mandrakes. That means something. Legend. Mandrakes uh, at the time were these, you know, if you eat a mandrake, it uh, has the root has hallucinogenic properties. Right. So she's like, so let's eat some eat mandrakes. The and they also look like a person, kind of. Yes. So you eat it and you'd be like, Rah! Mandrake root, right. Yeah. Um, she's like, let's eat these mandrakes. And he's like, there's come all over them. <laughs> And this is the meat cute in a Verhoeven movie. It is. You're, you're, you're right. right. And then immediately she's I'm kidnapped. I'm not being crass here. No, I understand. But then immediately she's kidnapped by a bunch of marauders. Right. They're sharing a cum-drenched mandrake Shut underneath up. two corpses. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. And then and then she's kidnapped. Then she's kidnapped, and then she is- Because uh, this is the start of their reign of terror. Ruckerhauer's like, we're going to fucking do what we want. Yeah. Here we go. This fuckboy son, we're going to get back at him. Let's take her. Yeah, they take her as revengeance. Mm -hmm. A revenge? What the fuck am I talking no, about? You as, should fucking trademark that. Revengeance. I'm telling you, you could pitch revengeance to Avi Lerner <laughs> and get that made tomorrow starring Nicolas Cage and John Cusack. <laughs> um, and then comes what I would call the toughest and most yes. upsetting scene of the film in which at first they're, they're going to gang rape her. Uh-huh. Uh, then Martin decides, no, I'm going to uh, sort of claim her. Right. Uh, you know, he sort of pulls rank. I'm the leader. Among these um, uh, uh, sewer people. That ben he, uh, is burying his head in his it's hands. It's a very, very tough scene. It was uh, it was cut uh, by Orion. Which Jennifer some, Jason Lee complained about extensively. Jennifer Jason Lee was very upset about because she thinks it's like the most crucial part of the movie. And her argument, which is, look, wherever you're going to land on Verhoeven, this scene is, is rough. the argument to have, right? Yeah. Her argument was it is more offensive to cut that scene down and to fully engage with that scene where the entire point is to make you uncomfortable. It, uncomfortable is one way of putting it. Uh, ben pointed out to me before we recorded how upsetting it was to watch the movie and also how it comes, kind of comes up on you. That's yeah, it. It's surprising. It's somewhat surprising you, because even though we know they're very bad, yes. right. it's very matter of fact. Uh, I'll tell you the element of this scene that I find there uh, is, and it, there really is a sense of them yes. essentially laying claim where they're right. like, right, she's our possession. The element that is most disturbing in this scene is we forgot to mention there is a small boy who's part of their gang. Oh yeah, God. And he is just standing there beating a drum and cheering on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. You're right. Like that's his fucking worldview. Yeah. It's just this it's boy being like, let Martin have her. But but then there's this very complicated power shift. Yes. Where Jennifer Jason Lee kind of takes control. Yes. But I think, because like this is a thing that's, I feel like there's other movies that do this too. Where yes. Like Straw Dogs maybe is sure. sort of like a classic example of a, a rape scene where then there's like a suggestion that the woman is enjoying it. This is more uh, than a suggestion. Ex no, right. And and I think Verhoeven's, I think yes. Verhoeven's suggestion is more that, right, she's almost trying to humiliate him. That's what I think. By okay. robbing him right. of his power. But nonetheless, very upsetting scene. Right. Because something uh, like Straw Dogs. sort of starts saying like, yeah, and they're like, oh, he's she's fucking you. Right. Something like Straw Dogs where you're seeing an assault 
and then he is sort of inferring that she's enjoying it is very different than something like this, which is very much a performative, like, power play of her being like, I want to have control of this situation. I want to humiliate you so you cannot take anything away from me. Yes. But— then cast this very complicated die for the rest of the movie, which is right. their central that, dynamic. Their dynamic is that essentially where it's like, they are somewhat romantically involved in right. a weird way. He like basically does kind of make her his new woman. Right. But, uh, Much the implication of, of throughout is that she, yes, uh, yes, is that she's sort of just trying to stay alive. Right. You know, like she's been kidnapped, but and she's al- trying it to also, sort of insinuate herself into his affections. Yes. We have talked about in the past. I know we talked about it like in uh, the yeah, Strange Days episode. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Strange Days episode, we talked about the, the sexual assault scene in that movie, right? And how like she really makes you sit in it. So it's not yeah. just some sure, sure, sure. fucking plot device yeah, yeah. as means for justification for another character's actions to go out and do something, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think this is a movie which like love it or hate it is actually interested in the psychological aftermath of that type of situation. It doesn't just treat it as like, and now revenge. You know what I'm saying? I do. And I it's just, kind uh, of similar to Elle in how it deals with all of that, with is. like the conflicting, shifting relationship between the two of them. Yeah. And so they uh, invade this castle. Yes. Uh, and they, they take claim, the castle. And they're like, branding is king. With ease. We need to pick a color. Uh, yes. We're red now. Red now. But uh, the reason they take this castle with ease is because everyone in it has the plague. Yes. So it's a bad castle right. on balance. Shit castle. Right. St. Martin did point them to it. Right. But uh, Yeah, but it was also like there's the scene where they're in the caravan and they're like, St. Martin just moved. We have to shift directions. It's like it's moved because it's in the back of a, a fucking rickety caravan. Of course it's going to move. Everything's moving. Um, but they keep on just deferring to this. There's also the scene... Uh, so at this point, uh, what's his name? Harkwood. Uh, well, Harkwood has been recruited by... By Martin. By Martin. And by Martin. Not Martin, Ki- Stephen. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Yes, sorry. Yes, yes. Because Harkwood's like, right. I'm out of the game. Yeah, actually, that's the thing. Stephen is an asshole because he yes. takes the nun right. to sort of coerce Mar- uh, Harkwood into taking down Martin. Harkwood's like, I'm retired. I said one last job. I'm out. Yeah, Please exactly. let me be here yeah. with my so wounded yeah, Stephen's nun. Stephen's a dickhead Stephen too. Sucks. Fuck Stephen that guy. sucks. Yeah, good point. Stephen sucks. It's cool when he gets electrocuted uh, later. Yes. That's an awesome scene. Uh, and Stephen's like, if you don't fucking come with me, like, you know, and and yes, uh, strong arms uh, uh, through suffering. Yeah. Right? Uh, emotional manipulation, uh, Harkwood to joining him. Um, and there is the scene where where they come face to face with what they believe to be the signs of the plague, right? Yep. And he goes to see a doctor and Stephen, who is all college learned. This is a good scene. Yes, is a college boy. Where the doctor's like, here's what you do. Bleed them dry. Right. And Stephen- you do, I'm a doctor. Stephen comes in, he's like, hey, look, I went to university. There's the, a, um, uh, what is it, uh, Ottoman or maybe Moorish or something, you know, like there's some like- It's uh, Arabic. He's Arabic, like, the, big, yes, the big yes. Arabic trend now, you lance the boils. Yeah, exactly. Instead of just uh, le- bleeding them dry. And the doctor's like, that's sacrilegious. I'm not doing any Arabic bullshit. Yeah, it's literally, he's just like, uh, no, it, we, it's against uh, Western right. religion. Like, and then, to, to and then even like, things. then Stephen leaves 
And Harkwood's like, okay, but seriously, fucking lance me. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. It's not what Jesus wants. Yeah. You know? And this movie, like, the two okay. devotely religious figures are fools in this film. Well, like, a doctor who doesn't do his job properly and a dude who listens to everything his statue says. Out of his mind, and then yeah. later in the movie kind of even has this moment where he's like, please prove to me that I'm listening to you and not just a man. Well, and then also he, when he's gets, when everyone starts getting the plague, he starts beating himself over the back with his belt. Right. Because he's like, maybe that'll solve this issue right. if I repent. Right. Um, but Which also, I think is the whole Verhoeven Jesus thing is like, he likes everything Jesus represented and hates everything that Jesus turned into. I guess so. I mean, he, there's also that incredible shot of later in the movie where he's got the burning wheel yes. behind his head. So he's got this kind of flaming halo. Martin. Yes. To be clear. And, uh, you know. I mean, that's it's very pointed. Draw your own connections. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so here's my problem with this movie. Mm-hmm. The first half is all this stuff we're talking about. Yes. And there's uh, Martin and his band of warriors. Then there's Steven and him gathering his warriors. Yes. And then it just turns into this movie where they're all in the castle alone getting the plague. For like an hour. Yeah, there's also a section where it kind of just becomes Animal House. It's like, yeah, now where they they're just the kind of right fucking with each other. There's the fork and knife yeah, scene. Yeah, they learn how to use forks and knives. And there's the, the bathtub scene. The bathtub scene, which goes on and on. Very long time. Uh, which is this sort of like quasi seduction again, I guess. Right, but the idea is that this time it is kind of a romantic sex scene, which we have not seen. Right, but also she's initiating it rather than him. Right, because she, she, she makes him has turn the whole around. Scene. Yes. Yeah. Uh, where again, it seems like she's trying to uh, insinuate herself into safety. Yes. By sort of controlling Martin. She has a very odd casting choice for this movie because she is so modern in this era. Yeah. You know, later she becomes better at sort of like, like Atlantic, not Atlantic City. Yeah. No. What's the film I'm thinking of? Kansas City. Kansas City. And uh, Hudsucker Proxy. She becomes better at like. At being uh, a period. Yes. And adopting different genres and that. But like in this movie, she kind of just feels like the Fast Times of Risman High girl transposed into this time She's so young too. She's so young. How old would she have been? She must be like 21 in this movie, right? Looking it up. Uh, no, she's 20, maybe 22, 23. Yeah. Okay. Born in 62. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, and then there's like the thing where the dog drinks the plague blood and then the dog gives them plague and there's like ben dog meat, furious. a lot of business with like chunks of dog. Well, a shot that I think is pure Verhoeven, which is like the wh- big flank of dog landing on them on the gun. Yeah. Yeah. They got dog steaks flying and they realize it's a plague dog. It's the boy's dog. Ben, have you ever been this mad about a movie choice? Like, when's the last time you were this, like, pissed off? The Phantom fucking Menace. Doc. Like, all like, the way back episode there? Episode nine. Yeah. That's as bad. This is this is the worst since the ninth episode about the Phantom Menace. Yes. And I like Verhoeven's movies, but this is in the middle of the Weinstein yes. mess. Yes. So it's just like- A morass of- Also yes. seeing this now is like kind of rough. What what I've been referring to as a cultural kidney stone being passed, where it's like all of us trying to fucking excise this like awful toxicity that exists in our culture and within power structures and all of that. But- And this is a movie that's just about toxicity. But this movie- I, I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a happy Benny moving forward. You're the fun. I'm gonna have fun. You're okay. The, you're yeah. The no, fun. you're right. It's fun, Ben. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have. Fun. I gotta, 
We'll have, let's hey. have fun. Okay? We're going to have yeah. fun. See, I like this movie a lot. I like this movie too. I uh, don't think it's an enjoyable movie to watch, but no. I think it's pretty fascinating on a sort of anthropological yeah. level. I do see, I it, I like this movie more in the first half where I think it's more achieving what it wants to do. Yeah. And then I just, the second half just sort of, I struggle with it just because I don't think it gains much from then everyone dies of the plague. Uh, I kind of do. Eh. I kind there's, of, there's, it, it's just, by that point in the movie, I want to see everyone wiped out. Oh, no, no, that's not my complaint. My complaint isn't that they're dying. Sure. <laughs> my complaint is just that it becomes kind of boring chaos where like mm-hmm. it's just them fucking around for ages and then they all die of the plague like that. Well, and it also becomes this game of like one-upsmanship between like Steven and Martin that's like all about McKeesmo yeah, and which more, one of them controls Jennifer Jason Steven. Lee. Yeah, and he's a real vacuum of a character. I don't give a shit about him. There is a great moment where he invents the fireman's ladder. Yes, because right. earlier in the movie he kind of invents the bomb. Yeah, he proposes rolling dynamite at the walls and blowing it up. Right, he's like Flick from A Bug's Life, where he's coming up with these crazy inventions, and everyone's like, "Don't do it." Yeah, that's what he's like. He's like Flick from A Bug's Life. Yeah, this movie's kind of <laughs> like A Bug's Life. Uh, but right then, there's the scene where they build a whole siege tower. Yes, and then Rucker Howard has the great idea of blowing it up. Right. Uh, so that but the happens. score swells and they have these pretty impressive shots because you're just like that's it's a fucking impressive okay. I mean that's yeah. the trick of this movie right yeah. is it's presenting it to you like you're watching freaking Excalibur right. and at every you moment know? you're like how did anyone give him the money to make this like I mean, didn't, didn't they read the fucking script money, but, but yeah. even still the level of production value but, when there's like no conventional heroics that's in this film the question with right. Verhoeven yes always it's just like you're just like how do you get the money for this yes because I mean the, the Starship Trooper story we'll talk about it on that episode but right. Where he had this demo yeah. that was all VFX of like a bug killing a, a cow. Yeah. And then he just walks in front of the demo at the end of it and goes, please let me make this movie. And it's like, you know, so he was just like, see, it looks nice. Crazy, right? You know. Well, here's the thing I'll say about Verhoeven, okay? Mm-hmm. Two he things. He his own skin. <laughs> he has rollerblades. He likes gold. He loves gold. <laughs> ben kind of likes that. Benny loves gold, remember? We can call him gold. Ben Burr when we do our Jay Roach miniseries. <laughs> We're never doing that. Gold Ben Burr. Jay Roach. Did he direct uh, The Love Guru? No, he didn't. He didn't. He stayed away from that toxic I know place, the first though. name of that person. It was Jay Roach's first AD. <gasps> really? He might have wanted to take the helm on that one. I think it's Marco something. What I was going to say is the two Marco things. Marco Schnabel. Okay. One out of two ain't bad. It might be Schnabel. 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 Um, uh, Julian Schnabel's brother. Um, is he? No. Uh, the, the two things about Verhoeven are, are one, he has always been such a kind of inarguable technical filmmaker, right? A, he was incredible with effects and pioneering effects he once he gets into his Hollywood period. And he pushed forward a lot, a lot of special effects technology, right? Yep. Um, so so that's a big thing, but also just in terms of his basic cinematic language, he is kind of this very bizarre classicist in terms of the language of his shots and his editing and his construction of sequences, which then he uses that very conventional filmmaking style for this very maximalist, extreme, upsetting material, right? Yeah. But he's not doing it in a schlocky way. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the bizarre thing is when you watch this movie and it has these like big sweeping vistas yes, and it's people like shitting a against a shed, you know? <laughs> This is not a movie that is trying to hide under the, like, oh, what, just a B-movie thing. Like, right. this is no basket He case. takes everything equally seriously, and he's not, like, a flash-over-substance guy. 
So there was always like a technical filmmaker there to go back to to give studios to give him money because it's like the guy knows how to make a movie. He's never going to hand us something that doesn't cut together. Sure. You know? The well, se- Showgirls. But yeah. We'll talk that movie about cuts it. together. You can hate that movie. That movie cuts together. Oh, I love that movie, but I don't know if it cuts together. That's, I think that movie that's cuts my together. complaint about that movie. I mean, it's his complaint about the movie. We'll talk about okay, it. Okay. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get there. Uh, we'll get there eventually. As Han said to Giselle, we'll get there eventually. Uh, the other thing about Verhoeven mm-hmm. is this moment, this movie was the real sort of like reckoning moment for him where uh-huh. he said like, okay, I can't make Dutch movies anymore. Yeah. I tried to make this movie with a weird combination of financing, not really in the studio system, not really oh, out I see. of it. So he's, he, this is where you think he's like, you know what? I just got to be Hollywood. Right. Like that's where the money is. That's where the advantages of the movies I want to make and, are. And yeah. he has said when this movie came out and the critics hate it and it barely got released, he went, you know what? I guess I don't know what a fucking American audiences want. Sure. So he takes his wife and he moves to Hollywood. Right. He ingrains himself in American culture and starts studying popular American films. And this is the thing that I think defines him. It's the difference between like a Rich Little and a Bill Hader, okay? It's like Rich Little is someone who can just fucking learn the voice and impersonate someone. You go like, ah, great, who gives a shit? Sure. I had no idea we'd be dragging Rich Little. Okay. Sure. Oh, technical oppressionist who yeah, gives a shit. I get you, I get you. Bill Hader's a guy who's able to get the technical qualities of yeah, an impression, sure. but then turn a character into it. Use that as a device to get at some other bit. His James Carville looks and sounds like James Carville, but he's not interested in just doing James Carville. Yeah, I would say he yeah, turns into a Bill Hader thing. is not that gifted an impressionist, but he is a wonderful comedian and character actor. So it doesn't matter. It's not because his impressions are never that precise. I think they're pretty good. But okay, there are other examples like that. But, but, no, like, no, but I'm with you. Yes. yes. Yeah. Dana Carvey's a similar kind of guy where it's like yeah. you learn the move so that you can make something else out of it. But Carvey was so like. He would always find like one thing right. that's just right that he's going to harp on. But I think haters like, I mean, he's the best. Yes. I think Verhoeven kind of becomes this weird impressionist of American blockbuster films. Like he figures out all the technical aspects mm. he needs to know. And it's like, if you're going to beat them, you have to know their own game. And if I can learn right. their language, <laughs> I'm cutting you off. <laughs> if I can learn their language, yeah, 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 yeah. then I can smuggle all the things I actually want to say into these conventional looking movies. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. I just, you're, just movie, you're doing the thing where you just, you're, you've created whole arcs for Paul Verhoeven. But he, he says that himself. Where? What? What do you mean? There's show an interview me. on the fucking Wikipedia page. No. I'm going to show it to you at yeah, the end of this. No, no, I believe Where he said, I, I, I surrounded myself with American culture and wanted to figure it out. And he said after he got the Robocop script, he like watched fucking action movies and studied them and said like, I need to make something that looks also, like an American action movie. He also grew up watching Hollywood movies and loved them. Like he was always, I think a little fascinated. That's, that's mentioned in the, uh, but he said after this, he went, I guess I don't know what Americans want and I need to figure out what they want if I'm going to be able to make movies. Yeah. Well, this is not a Hollywood movie. Exactly. And, and no, no. conclusively, this movie has no surface pleasures for anybody. Right. Whereas in Robocop, in Total Recall, in uh, Basic Instinct, even like, right, he's, you know, these are movies with more of an arc for a character. Yes. Maybe a happier ending, at least a sort of a resolution. They're, they're what I've called before movies where he gets to have his cake and eat it too. They get to function both ways. They're dissections and sort of postmodern, like deconstructions of these tropes, but also for an idiot, they work as like, oh, it's cool, it's a robot cop, he shoots people. Yeah, but I mean, and then Starship Troopers is sort of the, the most extreme version of it where they're like, we won, yeah! Right. And, you know, even 
Hollywood, like eating people like, in America are like, on? this is very over the top. Right. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. But he was able to make it within the system because he was able to make movies that looked and moved and sounded yes, like until he wasn't able to make it within the right. system anymore. Right. 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 He right. did. He cashed one too many checks. Maybe. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Cause it's not like he ever, this is his biggest failure. This movie. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not like he crashes. Cause Hollow Man even was like Hollow reasonably was a hit. successful. Hit. Cost too much money, but was like a hit. It was a hit. Yeah. Um, but so at the end of this movie, there's this, this sort of, Moment where uh, Stephen throws the one remaining piece of his beloved dog into the water well for the castle. Yes. And he says. Poisons them at the source. He says to Jennifer Jason Lee, this is your moment. Who are you with? You get to choose. Power's in your hands. Mm -hmm. And she sits there and watches everyone drink the water, including this young boy. Let's them all get the plague. But then when Martin's going to drink, she knocks it out of his hand. Yes. Because she's got these conflicted feelings for Martin. Uh, but then almost immediately, uh, vomiting, uh, boils, everyone realizes what's happened. They find the dog leg. It happens too fast for me. Yeah. They really find the dog fast. leg. I just don't like it. Yeah. It's, it, they push it along. It's goofy. It's sort of zombie-ish. Like, and like what yes. I kind of like about the movie is it's very mundane before then. Like. But then even he goes back to these weird moments, like when they find the boils on the kid. And they realize the kid has the plague and they all have to like turn on this woman and be like, you can't have your son here. Right. Like it's us or him. Yeah. Um, but the movie becomes like the total like destruction yeah, like of this society of that they built. Yeah, they're all and Stephen they're, and Martin, they're shitty, dumb, fake castle. Right, fighting yeah. for the hand of this woman that neither of them actually care about. Stephen Martin, I just put that together. Oh yeah, this movie's about Steve Martin. Mm. Uh, well, no, Martin tries to kill Jennifer Jason Lee by, st- by smothering her. Right, and he says sort of like, you only love me when it's convenient for me. Right, and he's figured and, out yeah. that she knew about the plague. You know, like, right. and uh, then how does she, so I guess Steven shows up. They have a uh, fight. Martin overpowers him and like chains him up? Or yes. is that earlier? Yes. Yes. And then Steven's trapped. They're both trapped. Yes. Because uh, they're right, because Martin gets shoved down a well. Oh, right. They shove him down a well, right. And then she lets it happen. But then when he comes back, she's like, oh, honey, so happy to see you. And he's like, I was just down a fucking plague well. Yeah, it's a shitty well. Yeah. Uh, but there is that scene where Martin gets struck by lightning. Uh, Steven gets struck by lightning. That I think is really cool. Yeah. And the scene where Steve Martin gets struck by lightning and comes up with the idea for Walton Crazy Guy, his first album. I, that's in the movie. Yeah, I just feel like our Afraid energy is gone. This is a tough movie to talk about. Violence. Yeah, yeah. Um, the crucial thing, because this is what I was saying about yes. like RoboCop. That movie has an ending. Yeah, this movie's ending is Stephen rescues um, Agnes. Right. Yay! He and burns everything down. Let's Martin get away. But she sees Martin getting away with with some spoils of war, and she sort of just doesn't say anything about it. Yeah, he probably has the plague. Yep, it's a movie about bad people. Anyway. They're uh, probably all going to die. Right. Life in 1501 was shit. Yeah. And this movie comes out and people go, fuck you. It was a shit life. Why did you make us watch this? It's just like it comes out on some limited screens and the studio is like, yeah, we're not going to release this wide. Yeah. And that's that. It's like, I don't think it even had a chance to be hated. I think it got okay reviews. But uh, the ones I read were not very positive. Fair enough. And people were like, what the fuck is this? Because as you said, they were comparing it to like the other 
like medieval epics of yeah. the time. They were like, what the fuck? Who, what are we supposed to be taking out of this? Uh, and uh, But he's got his foot in the door at Orion. Sure. And they see that he is a technical, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a technically adept filmmaker. Look, and they start throwing him scripts and going, okay, what if we could rein you in a little bit? We'll get to RoboCop. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. But, it, but that's the big thing this movie accomplishes. But first, we're going to play it. The box office game, even though this movie doesn't have a box office. But it did come out. Okay. Came out this weekend. Okay. Labor Day weekend. 1985. 1985. Okay. Number one. Mm-hmm. In its ninth week is what I assume had to be the number one movie of 1985. You know what's crazy? It will have like, it will yes, be it was the raining movie of the box office by the time this episode comes out. But right now the big news story is Disney negotiating with uh, movie theaters about the terms for The Last Jedi as they've done the last two years for Star Wars mm-hmm. where they want like an insane cut. They want like 75 to 80% of the box office revenue. Damn. Whereas in most situations, the split between the studio is like 50-50 or 60-40. It's usually weighed towards the studio in the opening weekends, which is why we've created an opening weekend culture. Um, And Disney's just sort of like, fucking take it or leave it. We're Star Wars. The other deal is you have to commit to playing the movie for uh, like two months on your biggest screen. Yeah. And in the story, they were like, "Uh, the theaters kind of have to go with it. I mean, after all, The Force Awakens was number one for four straight weeks. And it's like the highest grossing film of all time now. The big selling point is like four weeks where it was number one. E.T. was number one like 17 but weeks. But it's a, it's a totally different era. Because this movie that's number one and has been on in theaters for 19, nine weeks yeah. is on 1,500 screens. Yeah. And that's the most screens Slow burn. of any movie in the, in the box office. Yeah. You know, now, of course, the movie like Star Wars will come out to like 4,500 screens. Right. Even like Unforgiven, it took a year for that to make $100 million. It just you know, made $10 million dollars a month. So what do, you, what, what do you think a number one movie in 1985 was? <sighs> I can give you more hints. Yeah, what, what do you say? What are the other hints other than how it's done? I haven't given you any okay. other hints. It's so just it's, the number one movie of 1985. Oh, it's the highest grossing film of that year? Yes. Back to the Future? Correct. Yeah. See, I, think, I thought you could get it just from that. Yeah, I didn't hear that it was the number one. Number one movie of 1985. What Future. was the number two movie in 1985? Unrelated. Gremlins? Rambo 2. Oh, fuck. You know what I always mess up? 1984 is Gremlins and Ghostbusters come out the same day. We're going to talk about that. So, we have more to say. Number two. Yes. Is, uh, has been in the box office for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Stars the star of Back to the Future. He's number one and two at the box office. Michael J. Fox? Michael J. Fox. It's not Teen Wolf, is it? It's Teen Wolf. They came out the same time? They came out, I mean, Teen Wolf comes out like two months later. This guy, and he's in family ties. This yeah. guy is fucking owning right On now. On fire. This little shrimpy guy. Yeah. You know what's weird about Michael J. Fox? Because I think a lot about like certain good actors who don't last culturally because they never found a movie that stuck in the craw. Like people who were big at the uh-huh. time. What, what, what's what's like weird about him? Bruno Kirby is like always going to be in film history. No, because he's been in like five I of know. the most beloved movies of all time. Sure. So this like little mousy like yeah, character yeah. actor is like always going to be known. yeah, yeah. yeah. Michael J. Fox after Back to the Future where it's like, why didn't that guy like become a huge star? He did. He had like a bunch of movies that were huge that no one ever talks about ever again. Yeah. And also he won like four Emmys in a row. Right. But he had like Secret of My Success, Bright Lights, Big City. He did that that buddy cop movie with James Woods, Life with Mikey, Doc Hollywood. Like his movies that like no one fucking talks about. Doc Hollywood is the second most popular Michael J. Fox movie behind Back to the Future. What? Like that's what's crazy. I'm saying in terms of still current day standing, you know, 
reputation. Michael J. Fox is not listed on Box Office Mojo. That's why I went silent. Insane. I was trying to find yeah. him. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, number three mm-hmm. is a movie, uh, the debut of a very big filmmaker uh, who you like. Sort of a cult comedy hit. It's in its fourth week. Pee-wee's Big tw- Adventure? Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It's made $25 million. It's a sleeper hit? Uh, yeah, for sure. So three pretty definitive 80s films are the top three. I mean, Teen Wolf's bad. Yeah, Teen Wolf's bad. Uh, but, you know, I guess it's well known. Yeah. But, I mean, Back to the Future and Pee-wee's Big Adventure, those are very 80s, like, cultural touchstones. Uh, certainly. And let's not talk about Pee-wee's Big Adventure anymore, and we'll probably never talk about it again on this podcast. Wink, 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 wink. You're very annoying. Tell the listener at home what I'm doing. Wink, 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 wink. He's wink, winking wink, with like wink, both wink, eyes wink, and wink. saying wink every time he does it. But I'm alternating. Don't make it sound like I'm blinking. I said both eyes. I know. Oh, okay. Fine. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. All right. Now the next one is an action movie I've never heard of. It stars Michael Dudikoff. Michael Dudikoff? Yeah. Who the fuck is that? I don't know. Some guy. <laughs> he was like an action star. Michael Dudikoff? Yeah, he's, I think he, I think he's Tron. No. No. He's not Tron. Bruce Brockslater. Bruce Brock, yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's one of those names. He's in Tron. I don't know. He's a guy. I, hey, I mean, there's no way I know what this movie is, right? It's about a ninja. American Ninja? Okay, I do you know what that it. movie is. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know exactly. he was the star. Yeah. yeah. I know American Ninja. Yeah. Uh, tell me about it. It's a canon films. I yes. know that, but I don't know yeah. anything about American Ninja. It's exactly what you think it is. Well, the poster is an American flag. And it looks like sort of like Guile from Street Fighter, uh-huh. basically, like a guy in camo pants and then a tank top is uh, has a katana uh-huh. and he's fighting a ninja. It's a lot of I think this might not quite <laughs> know what a ninja is. This post. I repeat, it is exactly what you think it is. Uh, sure. Well, it made. What if we took ninjas, but made them more American? <laughs> it made three point two million dollars. Go picture. In its open weekend, yeah. uh, which is triple its budget. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, well, no. so Dudikoff must have been his quote must have been what I mean $50,000 <laughs> his quote was definitely you have 55. to feed me every day um, now number five yeah is a Nicholas Mayer joint Nicholas Mayer you know Nicholas Mayer directed yeah. Rathacon yeah yeah directed yeah. Undiscovered Country and Time After Time directed Time After Time that's right oh and that was gonna be my guess for what this was okay. no that's not what it is uh, and then you know wrote a lot of movies Uh huh. it's a comedy I always thought it was Meyer yeah I think it is yeah, cool. you're right. Cool. No, it, but it's M-E. I don't know. You know what? I don't know. Yeah, anyway. It's a two-hander uh, starring a famous actor Ooh. and another famous comedy actor of the era. Uh, but it's, yeah, this famous actor, it's when he's still in his straight comedy phase. Two male actors. Two men. Uh, one of them is straight comedies, but you're, the implication is he later got out of comedies. Oh, I mean, he just becomes a movie star. Hanks? Okay, so Hank's picture. Is it, he's the more famous or the less famous? Who's more famous than Tom Hanks? At the time of this film's release. He's top build. He's top build. Yeah. Someone else is the other hand. You know what? His wife's in this movie. Rita Wilson. So movie. is this where they met? It might be. Two-hander. The comedic actor is one of my favorites. Oh, really? That makes sense. You know what? They first worked on an episode of Bosom Buddies, but here's where they reconnect. And they like kind of get together, I think. And so where was this guy at in his career? 
And what? It, where is this guy now? The other person? Uh, dead. For dead. the second answer is dead. Was first answer is I guess he's just starting to emerge uh, as like a comedy star. He'd been in a movie with Hanks the year before. He's like a sidekick guy, but he becomes kind of you know at least for a little while there he's like a leading man in a, in a sort of you know comedy guy way. I mean. Comes a leading comedy man. He does by Nicholas. He's Meyer. got a few yeah. years there, and he's yeah. dead now. He's dead now. Yeah, like a tragic young death. Pretty young. How old was he when he died? Oh, oh, uh, forty-three. Is this? Is this the one with John Candy? Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not the Great Outdoors. Is, is John Candy and uh, Dan Aykroyd? That's, I believe that's correct. This one is called. I know. Ah, fuck this movie. Uh, uh, Candy and Hanks. Uh, I have not heard of this movie. Is it is it sort of like camping outdoors themed? Yeah, well, they go to like they join the Peace Corps, right? Ah, oh, fuck! It's a. W- <sighs> if you were to join the Peace Corps, how would you describe what you're doing? Signing up volunteers. The movie's called Volunteers. Thank you, Ben. Um, yes, volunteers. Called volunteers. That's number yes, five I've in the box it. office. Neither have I. Uh, yeah, great pick, Ben with John Candy. Oh uh, yeah, for sure, uh, Uncle Buck. Yeah. Oh, that's is is a TV movie that I would watch. Would you a call lot. it a, a Ben's choice? Uh, yes. But that also could be part of a future miniseries. I'm not dropping any hints here. I'm not winking as I'm saying. Wait, who directed? That's a John Hughes, Hughes movie. Oh, we're not doing John Hughes. Let's do John Hughes. I would do John Hughes. Let's do John Hughes. Well, you know he he only directed. That's a really see. good number. Like nine, eight, eight, movies. eight. That's a really. Good but you know number. they're samey. And uh, the first one is so racist. It makes me so mad. Birth of a Nation? <laughs> 16 Candles. I almost shoved one. my computer off the screen in <laughs> anger at that joke. <laughs> off the table, I mean. 16 uh, Candles is the first one, right? Yeah. I have a tough time with that movie. That movie's, re- not only, it's pretty gross too. Yeah. yeah. It's a fucked up movie. Weird movie. There are, yeah, kind of like the movie we yeah. just talked about. Yeah, but that movie that movie doesn't think it's a whimsical comedy for teenagers. <laughs> the, I mean, sure. they, Flesh and Blood doesn't. Sixteen Candles does. But <laughs> Breakfast Club, I stand behind. Uh, Breakfast Club's a really interesting movie. I know the the complaints against it. Yeah, I face them. I recognize them. Yeah, I think, I think on it's the a well made film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a masterpiece. It's the it's like one of the best. Yeah, it's like that it's like of one of the best American oh, comedies of all time. Love Planes and Trains. And, yeah, Planes and Trains. I love yeah. Planes. I don't know about best American comedies of all time, but it's a great movie. I put in my top twenty five. Not saying top ten, but I think top fifty at least. It's a really good holiday yes. comedy. It also uh, talking about our man JC should have won Best Actor. For that. that that is an Oscar worthy performance if I've ever seen one. Because there's he's a lot man. of depth to him. There is. As a much lot of depth. as he's like a goofball, he's, he's terrific. He yeah. has these like really great moments. The, the I like me, people like me scene, put that clip up against anyone else's Oscar clip. That's a fucking phenomenal piece of acting. Yeah. And that happens minute 30. Like that's not even like his big final scene. People like me. My, my wife likes me because I'm an open book. What, what you see is what you get. Year of the Dragon. Del Griffin. Uh, Del Griffin, baby. We're doing John Hughes. We gotta. You heard the dragon came out this week? Yeah. Tremino and Rourke? Yeah. We're doing him next. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when we promised we were doing Tremino? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the other, and then the other thing I want to mention, numbers eight and nine uh-huh. 
are reissues of the films Gremlins and Ghostbusters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Only a year later. Okay. Yeah, huge movies. Watershed movies. I cheered Ben up. Remember how frustrated he was? Yeah, no. I, I got... I got. I, well, that's my thing. I'm going to be happy It's now. fun, Ben. You're the because fun. Because this movie reminded me of like, don't be a bummer. Don't be like, oh, you need to be real. Interesting takeaway from this movie. I don't want to be real. I want to be fantasy. Like, I'm going to start watching football. <laughs> I'm going to fucking... I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start going football. to the mall. Yeah, if you want to avoid problematic yeah, things, yeah. Like, football is something to stay fun. These are fun things. things. A fun right? sport completely <laughs> devoid of conflict right now. Yeah, that's Ooh. Fun, right? Um, yeah. I don't know. I'll think of well, more fun I also, activities. I also think uh, the way that Verhoeven starts dealing with problematic issues in the future films we're going to discuss becomes more pointed and productive. Whereas this movie is just like fucking just wallowing, right? In depravity. Like, RoboCop's about an American Jesus. Like, you get these movies where it's people fighting against the evil. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, there's also an ending, like yes. with a character arc. <laughs> right. You know, whereas this movie is just like everything got burned down, or people died of the plague. Uh, Martin doesn't even die or win. And moments of thrilling adventure and and successful comedy and and such. You're, in other movies, you're in saying. other movies, I'm <laughs> yeah, saying, right? Not this one. Yeah, uh, this one's just a lot of like uh, just fucked up people kind of going like. Aah! across like a banquet table at each other. But let's give this movie credit. Mm. It deserves a lot of credit because I think it's kind of the Rosetta Stone for one man's career. Oh, Rosetta Stone, your favorite term? Okay, yeah. who, who's? Who's? Mark Maron. <laughs> this is a movie where they lock the gates. Okay, get out. They get inside no, the castle no, no. and they lock the gates. Leave the room. Get out of here. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have Maron. No. Go. If not for flesh plus blood. I'm done. I think we should call it Flesh Plus Blood. Uh, thanks for Andrew doing our social media. Uh, Joe Bond, Joe Pat Bond Reynolds doing our artwork. Bev Hat Reynolds, uh, Lee Montgomery, Lee Montgomery for our theme, theme song. song. This has been Podship Casters. Great title. Tune in next week for the greatest movie ever made. Griffin's going to go wild. I have never been more excited to talk about a film on this podcast. I mean, I think it's why we're doing Verhoeven. It's the main reason, but I think all of them are interesting to talk about. But I mean, yeah. This is this is my favorite film we have discussed up until this point, and I don't know if we'll ever discuss any of the movies I like more than Robocop. Uh, I mean, which are like the that Altman movie you love, Bruce McCloud. Uh huh. And uh, Toy Story Two. Yeah. And Rushmore. Yeah. I'd say Robocop is my numerated. <gasps> you got so mad at me when I shat on Rushmore that one time. You can go fuck yourself. <laughs> He was so mad. I'd say like lock it in. That's my first, my top four. I don't even hate Rushmore. In I just order, think it's pretty okay, good. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you thought you were done? Get the fuck out of my studio. All right. Mm-hmm. But RoboCop might be the the top movie on my favorite film list we ever discussed. Uh, I get that. That's cool. Because I, I'm excited for I, you. I think I would have an aneurysm trying to do Wes Anderson with you. I, I maybe. I, yeah, it would be. I would be. Somewhat negative about a lot of the movies. Right. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever do Lasseter. <laughs> no, you never know. Maybe. You never know. And uh, Altman, we could maybe, if we ever did that We would definitely that need decade. to cut that one down. Oh, yeah, but I'm not doing like Buffalo Bill and the Indians. Like, he made a lot of movies where you're just like. My pitch would be 1970 to 1980. Yeah, but I think Buffalo Bill and the Indians is in there. Okay, so that's the one. That's our <laughs> way to water. Bring on Han and Stefanski. Have you seen that movie? I've never seen that it's one. It's really boring. Uh, 1976, yeah. Anyway, okay, uh, well, I'm Robocop. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, so we've announced our next 12 miniseries. They're all here in this episode. <laughs> Tremino. <laughs>
Lassiter, uh, Altman in the 70s. Oh, God, we're going to be so rich. Yeah, we're making so much <laughs> The money. ratings, they're going to skyrocket. Straight down the middle. Strike, baby. And it's off and out of here. All right. Okay, that's enough. All right, we're done. Bye-bye. Goodbye no, forever. As always. You oh, yeah, as yeah, always. Right. Thank you all for listening. And as always... Stick with us. We're talking about Robocop next week. It's going to be fun. I promise you. I swear to God, we're talking about Robocop. Yeah, just this one episode. Please. We're talking about Robocop. Yeah, Robocop. He's a robot and a cop. He's a robot and a cop. Police. Yes. He's half man, half cop. Half man, half machine, 100% cop. I fucked it up.